0: Hello, and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast.
1: Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie Rules and the Mighty Bombers.
0: From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you.
1: Thank you for joining us. Let's, Let's start, start the, the pod. pod. episode of the Essendon People podcast, our round 18 review of the game against North Melbourne last Sunday and our round 19 preview for the game against GWS this Sunday. Uh, Brendan, the North Melbourne game was not one that's going to be going in a time capsule, was it? No, nah, no, nah, it was, um, it's not one for the old Damer game,
0: was it? It yeah. was, uh, it was bad. It was, I guess, um, the way you would describe it is that we were a side that looked like short of a run. I think the game against Adelaide the week before, often when you, have a, when you beat a side so comprehensively, you're kind of out of form and you're just kind of not with it. You're not sharp enough. You think it's just going to happen. And that's kind of what, how we looked. We didn't have, look like we had any, any run. It looked like because the, uh, the coaching group thought we'd won so comprehensively uh, against Adelaide that they flogged us on the track. And then when the, when we actually came to the game day, just had no run because everyone was just bugging. It was this, um, yeah. Credit to North though; they are uh, they competed good, uh, strongly early with lots of run, and uh, but I, eventually uh, we got the win in the end. But yeah, it wasn't pretty, and it was um, had a, had a few moments there when. And I I was uh, screaming expletives
1: at the TV screen.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you were as well.
1: Yeah, I think we were a little bit fortunate as well that we were playing, A, we were playing the, the bottom side, uh, although North are pretty competitive, like you said. And B, um, North had a pretty, pretty tough uh, gig as well, coming from Perth and then flying to to Queensland as well. So that second half probably reflected that they were maybe a bit tired as well. So we'll jump into the game. Um we won by 18 points. So it was Essen and 13, 14, 92 to North Melbourne, eight, uh North Melbourne 11 8, 74. So if we just break down quarter by quarter. Uh the first quarter, they really could have blown us away, just the inaccuracy sort of cost them there. So they kicked four goals for 28 to our three goals straight 18. So We converted obviously at 100% and they obviously went at 50%. So they went in with a lead of 10 points at quarter time, but it it probably felt worse than that at at the time. Um, And then into the second quarter, the second quarter was a bit unusual. They kicked two goals straight. So their conversion was then at 100%. Us, on the other hand, went at one goal, six. So we had seven shots on goal, but only converted at 14%. So... The quarter ended up just being a nil or draw, and we still trailed by that 10 points at half time and sort of felt that we were pretty fortunate to go into half time only 10 points down. It felt like we should have been, you know, eight goals plus the way we were playing.
0: Yeah, it's funny how that by halftime, we both had 10 scoring shots for the half, right? But it was the same margin uh, at time as what it was at quarter time there. So they, they really should have kicked kicked ahead in that first quarter and just our conversion in the um in that second quarter really should have seen us you know get ahead. One goal 14 percent. Like that's just that's just and that's a bugbear of both of ours. We keep mentioning the f- poor conversion rate and nothing seems seems to happen there. So that's probably something they've really got to address over the over the off season there. You know and we'll move on to the the third quarter there. North were one goal, for 10 We were four goals, for 28 North went at 20%. We went at 50%. So we won the quarter by 18 points, and then we're leading by eight points at, at three-quarter time. But, you know, four goals, four, again, went at 50%. Like oh, 50% looks great compared to 14, but really, you know, I think you'd want to be getting further up towards your 70 75%. That's really... I think at a minimum, where you should be aiming, you know, three out of four shots on goal should be, should be a goal, right? And then moving into the final quarter, there we had, we had the nine more nine scoring shots to four, so we were five goals four to uh, four goals straight. So we won that quarter uh, by ten, and then obviously won the game by the eighteen points. So we had, you know, double. Ish the scoring scoring shots in that second half, which saw us kind of get that lead, and uh, and push away. As you said, that they'd have to travel, and then the uh, I think we had the extra days break as well, to um you know, maybe saw them run out of legs. But yeah, it's certainly um certainly a number of uh, consistent
1: trends throughout the weeks that we uh we have to fix up. Just into some stats here, um, just to summarise the game, it kind of shows the type of game that each club played. So North Melbourne had twenty more kicks than we did, and we had forty six more handballs than they did. So I guess that those two stats alone, um, plus with the marks, we were nineteen less marks than them. So I, I guess that's those sort of three straight off the bat show that they played, you know, a short chip and mark game compared to our, you know, us trying to handball and generate run and 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 the like so um on that that's also evident in the bounces we had 18 bounces to their three so we're trying to handball run carry bounce uh they're trying to chip mark and and work around us uh like a bit of a chessboard there so uh we still had more disposals we had 47 more disposals we were plus nine in contested possessions, and we we're plus twenty-one in uncontested possessions. The uncontested possession surprises me a little bit um, because the, the the style of game that they were playing with the kick and chip kind of thing, I thought that they would come out on top in that number, but uh, maybe just by sheer weight of of possessions, that's why why it's come out that way. Um, in the hitouts, we were up by eleven. Clearances were up by eleven. Centre clearances, they had the better of us by four. And stoppage clearances were more dominant. We had uh, the 15, I guess that was, they were down a little bit in some personnel in the midfield with the likes of Cunnington uh, missing. So uh, I guess the stoppage clearances, you know, having people like Merritt, Parrish, uh, Stringer around the ball, I guess really helped us with with those numbers. Yeah, Cunnington
0: was, was a huge out there. And I think, you know, I think Draper did a really good job probably early against Goldie. And then as the game went on, Goldstein kind of got his hand to the ball a little bit more, and that's kind of where our our class. You talk about Merritt, Parish, Strigun was in there, started roving to maybe Goldstein a bit more. But I thought, I thought some of um, Golding's taps were a bit wild. He was hitting it sometimes. He hit it straight to one of our players. Sometimes it was hitting it into space, and you know it was not. It wasn't to the advantage of the North Melbourne player lock to, to run onto it there. So. North Melbourne having a pretty young midfield there. I know Taran Thomas had had a pretty good game. Uh, Jai Simkin in there as well. They didn't. Ha- they played Zeeble at halfback, so they didn't bring him into the middle for some experience. And they obviously Cunnington wasn't there. Looked like maybe the uh, the young midfield kind of lost their way a little bit there. it's compared to some more experienced guys and guys who were in form. So um. And then you know we had, as you mentioned, we had the forty six more handballs. Which probably leads us to having, you know, more effective disposal because it's more easy to hit a target by hand than by foot. So we had the 22 more effective disposals across the game. But if you look at disposal efficiency, we went at 77.5 and they went at 77%. So really, about the same. But and then, but I guess it's a bit of frustrating when you say disposal efficiency 70%, but you know, conversion rate is below 50. <laughs> Just kind of funny how like in general play you can hit a target no worries but as soon as you have to stop play and you put some sticks in front of you, you the same action you, you can't hit a target it's um yeah it's a bit frustrating but um i guess we'll uh move on to the good the bad the ugly so i'll start with the good and i guess uh where else would you start with but for Essendon in 2021 then uh Parrish and Merritt, uh, both start again in the midfield there. Uh, Zaki Merritt had the 39 disposals at 70% efficiency, three marks, uh, nine score involvements, seven inside 50s and nine clearances. And uh, Darcy Parrish, the 34 disposals at 61% efficiency, six marks, nine score involvements, eight clearances, seven inside fifty. So both had a had a pretty big uh, days in terms of disposal numbers. Um, I don't know about you, Mark. I don't think they were as as influential uh, on the game as what they've been in previous weeks, especially with those big numbers. I think maybe it was just the game that was played. They didn't really look like they, you know, they starred.
1: Yeah, and I think we're probably getting used to them racking up those sort of numbers as well. Um, you know, I mean, Tom Mitchell from... Hawthorne he's always racked up big numbers and sometimes players can can get a lot of disposal and and might not seem as noticeable uh to to the eye at first glance so um yeah both both had very good games obviously but uh yeah you're right it's probably there's been other games where where they've really stood out and, and been really noticeable as well and that probably leads us into the next part in, in the, a guy who didn't have as many possessions but stood out more um by the way that he was getting his possessions. So Jake Stringer, I'm referring to, who had 17 disposals. um, He went at 70% efficiency, had the four marks, kicked four goals, one, three tackles, 10 score involvements, uh, the five inside fifties, five clearances and an intercept as well. And I think the reason why he was uh, maybe perhaps more noticeable was the, the way that he was getting his possessions. So, there was a lot of the times where he's getting it and wrestling in the mid, in the you know right at the center stoppage and punching out a handball, and people really notice that when you're fending off or wrestling, standing up out of tackles, and, and that, that becomes really noticeable. Um, and then of course, kicking four goals as well is um, is going to make you stand out a lot more. neither neither of Merit or Parrish um, hit the scoreboard this week, so naturally you you're, you're going to stand out more, even though you've probably had half as many many disposals. Um, who else have we got here on the list? Yeah, so we've got uh, the first gamer there,
0: Sam Durham. I thought for a for 11 disposal game from a first gamer, I thought he's really good. I thought he did some had some nice standout moments. He uh, took that big mark inside 50. Unfortunately, uh, he missed the goal there, uh, kicked it behind. But you know, he did a couple of really nice things there on the wing and half back and ran hard and kind of was that link player in the play a couple of times. And you know, not. Doesn't play like this player at all, but what I kind of saw, I saw some traits if you remember back to someone like Brent Stanton, how he would run hard and hard and hard to provide the option that often it wasn't even used, right? he He just he ran the length of the wing to be the option to be the release player, to be the guy in case you need him to be there, and then he doesn't get used. and that's what I saw a lot out of Sam Sam's game there on the weekend. so, I thought he had a had a really good game for a first game player. What
1: do you think, Mark? Yeah, I agree. And I think it was it was really encouraging to see within the first, you know, minute of the game, I think he laid a big tackle on Todd Goldstein. So you can't really get much much more of a bigger challenge than that. Um, you know, for the against North to try and lay a tackle on the biggest guy out there. So he did that. He had that smother on Zerha's kick late in the game, which was really important. That that could have really swung the momentum. Um so there was a lot of little things that he did that were noticeable. And for me the biggest thing was that he didn't look overwhelmed uh, by the occasion. He didn't He didn't look like he didn't belong at senior level. So I think we can expect him to, to retain his spot and to keep earning um, games as well moving forward, which is pretty exciting for a, t- a 20-year-old player who's just come into the side to, to add to an already youthful list. Yeah. And then I think we'll touch
0: on um, some guys at, at Indian backline there in Ridley, Hind and Redmond. I thought they all had decent games. They didn't stand out by any means, but they had um, had some had some good moments. You know, especially as you know, North were getting a lot of ball inside fifty there, and I guess that last kick inside fifty was kind of like their Achilles heel several times. North, and the reason why it was because these guys were were, were cutting it off. So really had the twenty one, and ninety percent efficiency, seven marks, six rebound, fifties, and eight intercepts. Hine had the 21 disposals at 85% efficiency, 6 marks, 3 rebound 50s and 1 intercept. And then Redmond had the 20 disposals at 85%, uh, uh, 4 marks, 3 rebound 50s and 3 intercepts. Um, I
1: thought they all had a pretty good games and were good contributors to the side. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think you know. Obviously, everyone was kind of slow to start. So guys like Nick Hind and that were a bit slow to start, but it was um, it was nice to see them work their way into the game and and uh, become involved as well. Um, the next guy we had on the list was the captain, Dyson Heppel. So um, he obviously came back from that thumb injury. It only kept him out for a week, but he did have to have surgery and was in a bit of a like a kind of a cast-looking sort of thing, I suppose, for a little bit. Um, so I thought it was a good effort for him to get up and be really effective straight off the bat after having, you know, an injury to, to something that you're pretty reliant on to, 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 you know, kick and hammer or mark, obviously. So uh, he had 27 disposals at 74% efficiency, had the three marks, kicked a goal uh, when he got crunched there um, by, by the big bloke from north and uh, earned the 50-meter penalty, went back and slotted it. And uh, he had five score involvements, six inside 50s clearance, two rebound 50s and seven intercepts. So it was he's had a number of these games now where he's got similar sort of possessions at similar efficiency and had similar involvement with his um, intercepting and uh, his rebound 50 work as well. So I thought it was a really complete game from, from Dyson. What did you think? Oh, I agree. And I think him standing up and taking
0: that mark when he got hit by Zeri, I think it was really important. He knew contact was coming. And he kind of still went back with it, and then he obviously got hit. And you know, we'll talk a bit about that, that hit a bit later. Um, a bit dirty from um, from Zeri there, but he was obviously hurt. But he got up, got forward, and then converted. And that, you know, it was kind of a really important moment in the game for the leader to stand up to show the guys, you know, you know, you got to keep going on because we were we were struggling a little bit at that stage. So it was a really important goal for us to get and for it to come from from Heppel, in, you know, in a way where he put his body on the line for the team, I thought was um, a really important part of the game. Uh, the next player was a uh, big uh, term Peter Peter Wright. Uh, I thought he had a really good game. He had the 20 disposals, seven marks, three goals, seven score involvements. I thought this was, you know, we talk about breakout games. It wasn't a breakout game as such, but it was a game where he started – to, I think, realise how big of a man he was. There's been a lot of criticism over Peter that he doesn't doesn't work hard enough, he's not physical enough, he doesn't engage with his big frame enough. But I thought this, like, of those seven marks he took, I would think, you know, at least, at least four or five of them were contested. He put his body in big areas, he backed in the guys, he kind of did those little things that you don't get stats, little craft work that key forwards work on. I thought it was a really good game from Peter Wright. And I think if that can be his baseline going forward in terms of effort and how he contributes to the side, I think he can be – a. I do think he's already going to be a valuable contributor, but he can only get better and better and better and better because that's his weakness. And I think that was a real
1: game which proves that he can overcome it. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think, uh, I think the other thing as well is that he was one of the few that can hold his head high and say that he was on from the opening bounce. He, he played well from the start of the game and I think he was – uh, similar to Heppell, I think he was one of the reasons that we were able to get back into the game is that he was providing a target. He was doing all the right things. He was showing the effort. Um, there's a number of times for a guy who's, you know, two meters tall. Obviously, there's a number of times where he does a lot of good things at ground level too. There was, you know, a time where he worked all the way up to half back and took a sliding mark. A lot, a lot of big guys at that size would spill that and are a bit clumsy. And one of the goals he kicked was he rode it off the back of the pack and snapped it in the goal square. So. Um, the mobility to to you know compete in the contest and then get behind the pack and actually crumb crumb the ball um you know that's not necessarily expected from from him that's not what we really drafted him or or traded for him for and um yeah those things are, are really good to see yeah. as well he's he's uh he's not going to be obviously i don't think um there's any expectation for him to be one of the premier big men in the in the competition but the things that he's doing is exactly what we need and and what we've been crying out for for a number of years so um, like you said, if, if that amount of effort and application is what we can get as a baseline from Peter Wright, then then we're onto something really good there. Um, onto some, uh, some uh, I guess, less spoken about players from week to week uh, who, who had really good games. And some of these guys have backed up a couple of good games now as well. Is um, Tom Cutler had the 19 disposals at 79% efficiency, uh, had a mark, a couple of tackles, three score involvements, inside 50 um, he was he was really good. I uh, thought he was breaking the lines, he was running, carrying the ball again, taking the game on, um, providing a lot of link sort of work as well, which is off the back of a good game last week. So, really good to see Tom um, string together a couple of good games. Matt Guelphie um, had 17 disposals, at 82% efficiency. Her, uh, the eight marks, kicked himself a goal early too, which was a good snap goal. Um, had three tackles too, which is uh, a good indication of, of a good MacWelfie game is where his pressures up and his tackling, um, and he had the the two intercepts and three rebound fifties. Will Snelling is another one of the the this group who's um, maybe a bit of an unsung hero week to week, and and has if you go back and look at his stats, had a number of these games, and uh, this one is probably arguably one of his uh, one of his better ones, or definitely in his top probably three. He had twenty two disposals at ninety percent efficiency, so very good. Uh, had the five marks. Uh, didn't didn't hit the scoreboard, but had nine score involvements, three inside fifties, two clearances, uh, a rebound fifty, and an intercept as well. So um, I guess that that's uh, we often talk about a classic Marty Gleason game. I think that's a classic Will Snelling game now. Not necessarily hitting the scoreboard himself, because how he plays and his stats show that he's pretty unselfish. Um, you know that level of efficiency with nine score involvements. And um, that's, you know, the three inside 50s. That, that, that's a really good all-round game. So Tom Cutler, Matt Guelphie and Will Snelling, sort of uh, a group of unsung heroes a little bit at times, but they had really good games this week.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with all those three. So I guess we'll move on to the bad there and we'll um, we'll kind of start with what was the standout thing, that the take, real takeaway moment from the game, which was the uh, the lack of intensity and pressure across the four quarters. I think... One stat we really want to highlight there is, is the tackling. There, we t- talked about this year how our pressure's been up, tackling's been a real focus of the side, want to be real blue collar. And I think this week it, it was pretty poor. So, we only had 42 tackles for the game, right? and that was le- nine less than North Melbourne. And when you consider how, how dominant North Melbourne were there for periods, there, and how like we certainly didn't stand out in terms of you know dominating the play. No, that number should be way up there. You know that's, you know that's ten tackles a quarter. That's just not, that's not good enough. You know, um, you look at tackles inside 50, which has been a bit of a problem of ours. We do a lot of good work tackling around the ground, but really inside 50, we've kind of been let down during the year. And again, we only got 13 tackles for for the game there inside 50. So I'd really like to see that number go up, especially when you guys got in there like, you know, Tippa. Uh, Devin Smith, who's supposed a tackling machine, um, yeah, what are you doing? You've you got to lift your rate. And then, you know, one percenters, we had 38 one percenters uh, for the game, you know. It's hard to tell is that enough. I would say no, especially, you know, it didn't really stand out that a lot of guys blocking for each other, wasn't a lot of guys creating space, knock-ons, doing those little things for each other, especially, you know. In, in the midfield there. And I think, you know, a criticism we've had earlier in the year is the midfield not working hard enough to help protect the back line. Uh, you know, you can have, you know, the best defenders of all time, but if the ball's getting in there a lot and the ball's getting in there with ease. It's not much those defenders can do. And I know Mark, this is something that you, you'll you touch on there. There was a number of times through it. It was just coast to coast where they just easily, they didn't touch the ball and we were nowhere near it. They had, they had, Two, three men. We were jogging. We weren't running. It was, it was disappointing at times. The effort they put in. And hopefully, you know, Ben Runt and the coach group has really given them a real big, rig spray after the game. That you know, and reviewed this
1: win like a loss in terms of the the poor effort that was provided. Yeah, and that was um, something that we both talked about during the game. Was that there was a lot of those short little fifteen meter kicks, which we spoke about the the uh, stats earlier how many kicks and marks they had more than us so there was a lot of them were just little short 15 meter chips around around the back line and then up to the wing and then up to half forward and then inside 50 and then eventually to an uncontested person inside inside the forward 50 for them Um, so there was too many times to to actually mention that, that they went coast to coast that way and it obviously just shows that our zone had completely broken down. like you said we were, we were you know jogging instead of uh, instead of running to apply pressure and that was highlighted a couple of times on the on the telecast as well. Um, the sides better sides will tear you up and they won't need to chip it around. they'll go really quickly from one end to the other if you're not set up. so I think that that showed a real structural issue for us on the weekend and, and um, which I think was mainly attributed to by our effort because it's not normally an issue. so it's okay to let them chip around inside your, you know, inside your forward fifty, while they're in their defensive fifty, because you you want to you're happy for them to have the kicks down there until they turn it over. But to let them have, you know, at times eight, ten, probably twelve kicks to get it from one end to the other without us even touching the ball, but you know, yet a period of probably one and a half to two minutes has elapsed. Just shows that you're not putting enough pressure on. So that was a really frustrating aspect to the game to to watch from the kick-in all the way to a shot on goal without us even getting near it.
0: Yeah, and I guess um. Kind of talk a little about how we talked about how we had the efficiency rate of you know seventy-seven five percent or whatever it was. It was you know really good, but we still had we had fifty clangers for the match, and we had forty-six turnovers for the match. And so that's and that, both those stats were more than North Melbourne. So you know <laughs> it's one of one of those ones. Look, me had fifty-one clangers. You think, geez, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of mistakes that we've made. And a number of them were probably un- unforced as well, so that was um that was uh, disappointing. And you know we talked earlier about the the poor conversion rate. We went at forty eight percent for the match there. You know we had the had the twenty seven scoring shots, you know, and the one hundred and twenty five score involvement. So you know just on score involvements alone, we were forty one more score involvements than North Melbourne. That's a hell of a lot more, right? To only win by eighteen points. It's 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 disappointing, you know. Had fifty three inside fifties, and you know only thirty of them resulted in a mark. Right, uh, so you know, really, and I think that kind of talks to maybe our key forwards. They're not doing a lot. We got Peter Wright up the ground a lot. You talked about taking marks at halfback and stuff like that. You know, obviously um, Harry Jones didn't play, but you know. Hooksy, he's gone through a bit of a rough patch at, at the moment, is Hooksey uh, Only had the 12 disposals, went at 66%, managed to kick a goal. Um, Tipper had a, had a really rough day. I know he got a, got a knock earlier and was seen hobbling around the grounds, mate. That might have affected him, but only had the uh, only had the five disposals and went at, at 40%, two marks, didn't register a goal. Only one score involvement. And score involvement is usually... Is really high in those score involvements. There, Tipper, so that was like, and then and then I guess Devon Smith, who I think we'll um we'll talk a little bit about in depth now with his six disposals, eighty three percent efficiency, two marks, kicked a goal, three tackles, four score involvements. I guess the thing I want to say with, about Devon Smith is I couldn't care if he came out and he had forty five disposals and kicked fifteen goals. Uh, what he's doing in terms of giving away free kicks and giving away free kicks after the ball. So, you know, bumping guys, you know, once they've got rid of it, you know, tackling blokes over the boundary and, you know, starting a wrestle, uh, abusing the umpire, just doing silly things. I know several weeks ago, Mark, I went on a bit of a rant about Devin Smith about that, and and he just continues to do it. And it's getting to the point where I don't want to see him in the side, right? He's just – it's at the point now, like, I don't care what he does; just his presence alone is irritating me as a as a supporter of the club, because you know he's doing things that that hurt the side. And you know this bloke was a leadership; he was in the leadership group, and you know no way is he acting the way that a leader should. And it's um it's it's all come from his ill discipline, and
1: it's it's becoming quite frustrating. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you made a good point. You said he needs a role. He's he probably been given the opportunity to do that. You know, we saw him in the midfield at times, in at centre center bounces and things like that on the weekend. And he had, he had one disposal up to half-time, which he got late in the second quarter from memory when he took advantage from someone else's free. So it wasn't even a disposal that he earned off his own effort. Uh, and then, like you said, gave away another undisciplined free kick. Um, which just seems to be week in, week out now. So I, I too, am at the point where I'm, I'm sort of, I, I've had enough now of, uh, of seeing that as a supporter. And it, it's it's in such contrast as to what the whole club and the whole team have been about this year. So um, I, I definitely would encourage Devin Smith to be dropped out of the side and think about what, what it needs to do to, to give value to the team, I guess, again, like he did a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, we spoke about it on the weekend and, Sort of said, oh well, who do you bring in? But I don't think it matters. Like you got Ned Ned Kale sitting there, like you know, he he can easily provide at least that exact level of of contribution. And um, you know, if Zara Arcus is is fit in the, in the next week or so, he can easily provide that level of contribution as well. Uh, so so there are options there, um, and they haven't been afraid to play kids. So it's, it's definitely, uh, I think, time to to give him a spell.
0: Like and like I said, I, I just want to reiterate: so everyone's clear. I'm not frustrated at his his level of contribution. Like six disposals, oh, yeah, he didn't have a lot of the ball. That that happens, you know. That you know, Sometimes you're going to have games. And as you talked about, he needs to be given a role. And I think there's other reasons why he's just, his output hasn't been as great as it's been in the past and whatever. My issue is not with the output, you know, although having said that, I would like his output to increase because, you know, he, he's a really good player and I think he's – can still be a good player for us going forward. He's proven in the past to be class. He's proven in the past to be a real tackling uh, machine, creates pressure and a guide. I think he's actually the reason why he was put in a leadership group in the first place is because when he won the best and fairest, it was on the back of his effort to tackle, harass, chase, and that really lifted the group around him and really got guys on board. So could you imagine what he could do with this young group? If he got back to that, he could be a real beacon that the coaches point to and say, look, Devon's chasing, Devon's harassing, Devon's doing all the team things, and then it becomes infectious, and then everyone starts doing it. And then all of a sudden, we talk about being the blue-collar side and how our pressure rating was really high at the start of the year. That could be a real trademark of our game is pressure, 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 and it could be led by Devon Smith. And I would happily have him in the side. So it's not we're not talking about his performance. What I'm talking about is that it's the giving away of cheap free kicks, right? It's the arguing with umpires. It's when it's the shaking of the head and mouthing off. It's doing it's just undisciplined. It's unnecessary, right? We all get frustrated at times, and one thing's happened here there. Last week I think Darcy Parrish gave away a 50-meter free kick because he mouthed off. Like I'm not I'm not hanging Darcy Parrish over it. Over one thing, but this isn't a one-time thing with Devon. It's a consistent trend, right? And it's starting to cost the side, right? And if us as fans can notice it and getting frustrated enough that we're calling him out, I'm sure his teammates are getting frustrated enough that you know it costs. I think you know some people were calling him downfield Devon. That's you know that's because the amount of that's how he's just giving away free kicks all the time. It's
1: it's just frustrating. Anyway. Moving on. Move on to, to the, the ugly. ugly. <laughs> to the ugly. <laughs> if just in case anyone wasn't aware, that wasn't an ugly, that was actually in the bad category. So in the ugly category, we um we had a couple here it was um, we didn't stand up for some players when we had the opportunity to, and that's kind of been a little bit of a bugbear of ours over the last few years, I suppose, and that we sometimes don't have a bit of a backbone or a bit of a heart. So Dyson Heppel obviously got crunched like we spoke about earlier by um, Tristan Sherry and uh, and there wasn't a whole lot of retaliation. You know, your captain's just been absolutely whacked and unnecessarily, and there wasn't a whole bunch of uh, retaliation which should have should have occurred. And then Kale Hooker um, got a bit of push and shove from from uh, one of the North players at at halftime, and uh, Hooker himself sort of fired up a little bit and then just let it go. And th- there was no other players. I think I can't remember who the player was for us, but someone ran in. It might have been Parrish ran in and. And instead of remonstrate with the North player, he, he grabbed um, Hooker to basically say, like, let it go sort of thing. But we'd like to see a bit of passion in those situations, especially, you know, we're not inciting violence, obviously, by any means. But, um, you know, half time, you, you know, there's not you're not going to give away a, uh, a free kick or anything like that. So that would be the perfect time to, to get up in someone's face and, and sort of put the pressure on them and say, no. You know you're here to play, and and um, and we're going to go hard and be careful when you come out after half time because you're going to get crunched every time you go for the ball. That that sort of stuff, and stand up for yourself a bit, and stand up for your teammates. At the at the risk of sounding like a complete
0: hypocrite of what I've just said, if Devon Smith had given away free kicks in those instances, remonstrating with the team with the opposition after the hits on Heppel and the uh, the kind of rushing of Hooker, I'd be happy with that. I'd I'd, I'd even say. That's good leadership, <laughs> right? So because we just, you know, it's misplaced aggression is kind of what I'm talking about. That's an instance where is appropriately applied aggression. You should your captain gets knocked over like that, right? You fly the flag. You go in there hard. You push and shove. You get a wrestle or whatever. You pay a fine. You give away fifty. What I I'll happily live with that because that's you know you that's the right thing to do. You stand up for your teammates. You know, Hooks is a, a long time servant of this football club and is well respected within the group. If you have some guy rush him at the break like that, right? Trying to be a tough guy. Not having that. Should have got in and started, a started something, push and shove or whatever. Right. You know, don't, don't do stuff over the boundary when there's no need to do it or bump a bloke's plate or push it in the back or stuff like that. This is where I'm talking about the aggression. And if, Devin did that I'd I'd be the first one in his corner to support him right and saying well done right so hopefully you know in the future there's a bit more standing up for our leaders and then I guess the, the, the other one is the obviously the Harry Jones injury there the uh, stress reaction in the foot there uh, had, had the injury with the foot last year I think I think it's fair to say he's in the moon boot he's on the crutches he's done for the year. Uh, hopefully they can um, find what the cause is and, and rectify it and build him up through the preseason so he doesn't have this become an, an ongoing
1: issue. Hopefully uh, being a, a, obviously not good news that it's an issue in his foot which is something he had suffered through last year as well um, but maybe on the bright side of things maybe it's an opportunity that you know he's going to be off his feet for a little bit but might be an opportunity that he does a whole lot of upper body work in the gym and, and really gets ready for next uh, next season and comes back a, a couple of kilos heavier and stronger as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully not not that situation uh, being an ongoing one for for Harry Jones again. Um, we'll move into the SNM People Podcast Player of the Year Award, our Heath Hawking medal. So I'll quickly roll through uh, my votes, Brendan, um, then I'll hand over to you. So uh, my votes were slightly different to, I uh, guess, what was sort of uh, spoken about by Essendon fans and maybe in the media, but um, here I go. So one vote I gave to Darcy Parrish. Um, my two votes I gave to Zach Merritt. Those guys were both really good, as we talked about earlier, but I just felt like um, there were some guys who stood up um, more so, you know, in their own roles on the day. One of those guys was Peter Wright, who I gave um, the three votes to. We've already spoken in depth about um, that being one of his better games for the club and in his career as well. My um, four votes I gave to Jake Stringer, Um you know, didn't have to touch the ball a hell of a lot, but was really effective when he did and uh, and a real bit of X factor that we needed at times as well and, and was probably one of those guys that was on early, uh, maybe went a little bit quiet through the middle part of the game, but um, he really sets the tone for us and has been really, really important the last few weeks. And my five votes, uh, best on ground, I go to Dyson Heppel. Thought he was really good all day, um, played his role really well and um, – was a, a large part of the reason that we were still in the game at halftime and that we got ourselves in front um, after halftime as well. So how did you see the votes?
0: Yeah, so um, I agree with you. I gave Heppel best on. I thought he played well, but I thought he stood up in key moments. So the um, the backing into the pack where he got crunched, I think, was massive. Uh, him getting up, going forward, kicking that goal was huge. The fact that he played after, you know, a broken broken thumb there with the surgery that he had. I thought he was huge. I thought he did a lot of t- a lot of things to help the defenders in the back line and just his calmness and assuredness to kind of, you know, kind of stop forward thrust from North Melbourne I thought was really important. So he was my best on ground. Uh, Jakey Stringer with his four goals got my uh four votes. Uh, Peter Wright with his three goals got my three votes. Uh, uh, Jordan Ridley I gave two votes to. I thought Ridley... Had a really really important game there. I thought, you know, maybe flew under the radar a, a little bit there, but I thought he was one of the one of the key guys in cutting off the North Melbourne attacks. And even just his positioning in the right areas meant that North Melbourne had to kick it towards the boundary a bit more. So just you know, it's a little thing. It doesn't get a stat. It doesn't get anything, but. The way, where he positioned his body meant that North Melbourne couldn't kick it there. They had to kick it elsewhere, which caused the deficiency in their efficiency going forward. Which I thought was um, was really good. And my one vote I gave to to Zach Merritt. I thought between him and, like I said earlier, don't don't think him and Parrish, you know, had really impactful games. But I thought he probably was a bit bit more than Parrish, so I gave him the one vote.
1: There was no VFL or VFLW games this uh, week due to uh, the COVID restrictions again. So, yeah, unfortunately, the girls didn't get to play in that prelim that they were preparing for. Um, So, there'll be no update on that this week. So, we might go to a quick break and then uh, come back to preview the, the GWS game. Okay, in round 19, we're going to be playing Greater Western Sydney on Sunday. Uh, the, the location and the time is yet to be confirmed at the time of recording, Brennan. but I think it's fair to say it's going to be the late game, maybe the twilight game on Sunday is what's being talked about. And uh, I think um, potentially at Metricon uh, Stadium, again, in the Gold Coast, it'll definitely be the Gold Coast, but um, there is a game earlier in the day, I think, at Metricon, so whether they're going to do a bit of a bit of a double there, or whether we play at the Gabba or something like that, I'm not sure, but um, it'll be in Queensland somewhere, so we're staying up there. Um, If we just roll through uh, some of our injury news, I guess that probably the main one to report um, this week is that Dylan Sheel was uh, on radio this week saying that he's probably a couple of weeks away. Um, It sounds like He's is going to be building up some sort of load um, this week, so whether that's in a scratch match or whether he does some sort of match simulation drills as part of training or something like that, but um, I think he he's targeting being back uh, by the sounds of it in a couple of weeks, which is good news. Yeah, no, definitely, it's uh, a bit disappointing when the uh, VFL you know isn't
0: isn't operating because you can't really get him uh get him max conditions against you know an opposition, even even if it was for like a quarter or a half, it's still a Better than you know, training or a scratch match there. But um, yeah, it's good to see he's he's progressing well. Um, I guess the question is, do you do you want to risk him getting back? You know, there's a whole thing at all a chance of playing in finals. But you know, I'd rather I'd rather us get him right so he can have a full preseason and then be cherry ripe for the round one next year. Uh, then maybe pushing him maybe a bit early, especially with the Hub conditions in Queensland, you know, so that's it. But other than that, I think we got uh, Zahrakis with his wrist and Andy Phillips with his hamstring. They're both tests, and I think they're um, they're good to go. Obviously, Aaron Francis is still a a to be determined at the moment with his um, with his mental health issues. Um, Langers is obviously the two to three weeks away with the hammy, and then uh, everyone else is uh. Is pretty much done for the year. The only other one was um, was Kane Baldwin there. He stumbled across uh, a little uh, YouTube interview he does there with I think it's, uh, it's a young fella by the name of LJ. Is that right uh, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yep, LJ. And, and he said um, he's about six weeks away from returning to at least some form of um, of match match play. I think he said that he's now 14 months Post reconstruction, and they said that um, normally it's a it's a twelve month injury. But uh, when he came down to the car after spending some time on the Gold Coast, they said, "Look, we're going to take a couple steps back, stop, don't really really take each step and tick it off methodically." So that's taken the uh, probably the extra extra two months there. But in doing that, he's um they've really short up in this disability in his knee, especially considering um he's done it back to back there so um i think that's a really good thing to do i'm really happy they've done that we've talked about how in the past the medical department has maybe uh, uh not has been as conservative as we would have liked and ultimately that's probably um bit us in the bum a little bit uh but it's good to see that hopefully by at least the end of the year he'll be uh he'll be fit and then i think um that's the case Hopefully he gets another contract I think that would be I think When they signed him initially They knew that he was kind of Going to be done for the year So uh, If we can get a big You know 194 centimetre Key forward For pre-season um, Yeah Him Jones You know Right Maybe Maybe There's something really exciting there For the future So um, That's good to hear that Kane Baldwin's progressing uh, I think We'll move on to GWS uh, They've got uh, they've got a number of players impacted by this um this COVID isolation thing from the uh from the rugby uh, union match unfortunately so the the two big names from that group is uh is Toby Green and Matt DeBoer. so like their um their best forward slash best player in Green and their best tagger in DeBoer. and then um Josh Kelly is a test with an ankle and Lucky Whitfield is a test with concussion. Um, I would think that probably Whitfield and uh, Kelly both get up uh, and play. So, um, from our case, hope they don't because they're probably two of their best five players. And with, uh, with Green out, there'd be three of their best five players not um, not in the side there. And um, that would really help our chances because I think this is a, a definitely a winnable game. So, Mark, uh, some key opposition players.
1: What do we have? Yeah, we've got uh, Shane Mumford, who's uh, obviously a bit of a big brute in the ruck. So um, he's playing pretty well for a, for an older ruckman, uh, and he's playing just the way that he's always played—just just smashing guys. So um, he looks pretty fit, moves around the ground pretty well over the duration of the game. Uh, he's obviously going to come up against Sam Draper. Um, I think last time we played him, he probably played on Andy Phillips. Um, so I, I guess good education for Sam Draper is he's, he's playing on a number of really different ruckman each week. He's gone from Max Gorn to Todd Goldstein now to Shane Mumford. So um, that's going to be a, a really good uh, matchup there. Uh, Lockie Whitfield is the next guy who, like you said, if he gets up from that sort of concussion um, question mark, he's a hard running mid, best runner in the comp and uh, a real good link player, good skills, Um very good player and uh, I think gained a lot of recognition through that 2019 season. So since then he hasn't really missed a beat other than being injured, uh, had a pretty nasty injury at the start of this year, um, but has gotten past that now. Um, so I guess the matchup of who we put on, who we put on Lockie Whitfield, um, you know, he plays, he can play off half back. he can play on the wing, he can play in the midfield, he can play numerous positions. We need someone that can go with him. We don't actually have a, a playlist on the run sheet here and, We ordinarily maybe would have gone to someone like Kyle Langford, but given that he's not not in the side, um, I'm not sure who we go to. Uh, It's probably – maybe it's a good test for someone like Nick Cox. Um, You know, he's got a big tank. Um, You know, maybe he can beat him with a bit of height. Uh, He's not going to necessarily outbody him with strength, but maybe with smart. So maybe it's a good education for Nick Cox. What did you think? Yeah, I was
0: thinking Cox or maybe Tommy Cutler, again, the height, ability to run, play all three phases of the ground. But I, I, I really like that suggestion for Cox. I think that's, uh, you know, he's kind of been in and out of games a little bit in recent weeks there as Nick. So uh, playing on Whitfield, if Whiffle does play, he'll definitely be in the game and um, it'll definitely be a chance for him to uh, to use his, uh, his endurance base there, Nick, because, you know, Lockie Whitfield's one of the hardest runners in the comp and I think... You know, we talk, we've talked talked a lot during the year about giving Archie Perkins some different jobs, giving him a bit of an education. I think, and that's been really good for Archie, but I think if we're talking about an education, especially on how hard you have to work and if Nick's going to, is he going to be on wing for his career? Is he going to be a key four that hits up the ground? I think giving a demonstration of how, how hard you have to work and how hard you have to run, I think that's a really good suggestion by you, Mark, and that's that's one I go with. So... Um the next two players are, you know, two inside midfields who are stars in Jacob Hopper and Tim Taranto. Um, Hopper in particular is a real a real bull and he's having a really, really good year. He's probably going to be close, if not All-Australian. Uh, Taranto is obviously a former All-Australian, former best and fairest winner, very good player himself. I guess um Jake Stringer will go to one of them. I'd probably say Hopper just because Hopper is a bit more, bit more brutish than what Toronto is. Uh, again, we're running a bit, <laughs> a bit thin in the midfield. So uh, who else would go to them uh, to Toronto? Um, geez, not sure. Uh, maybe we throw it to a Perkins, but you know, is that really in a good matchup? Not sure. What, what did
1: you think, Mark? Yeah, I don't know. Like you said, we're running out of options. So, you know, does a Darcy Parish go to win? Parish probably plays more of his own game. So, uh, maybe it's a job for Dev Smith to to redeem himself if he's still on the side. But I don't think he's I don't think he's got that in him at the moment. So, that's going to be a really tough one. That GWS, like you mentioned, got a number of injuries, but they've still got some really talented players. Um, Players through the midfield, which we're sort of listing out now, you know, we've already mentioned Whitfield, Hopper, uh, Taranto, and it, it doesn't end there, which is uh, leads us into Stephen Caniglio, the captain. So, I guess we haven't solved the Tim Taranto problem, we now move on to the Caniglio problem. So, uh, I don't know who, who do we go to with uh, Coniglio, who just who does, who does match up on him? He's another strong, um, inside mid who uh can extract the ball really well. I would have said parish for Coniglio, just because they're both
0: smaller players. But if we're going to give Dev Smith the opportunity to go with someone in the middle, I think Dev is probably suited to a Coniglio a bit better. And then maybe say, okay, Darcy got to play on Taranto. You know, it's not great. But, you know, is is Dev Smith going to be in the side? So it might
1: not be a question we have to deal with. What do you think? Um, I guess it probably highlights, I guess, a bit about depth issue at the moment. This would have been the perfect week to have Dylan Clark, you know, a, available and match fit. He has played a couple of, um, he played one or two VFL games and then a scratch match. I don't know whether that's enough to build up enough match fitness to go into a game like this. I, I don't think so. But um, but if he's if he's fit and available, that maybe is, is an option. You know, he's a defensive mid who doesn't necessarily get pushed around and got a bit of a tank. So uh, maybe that's a bit of an outside option. I think that's a good matchup for Taranto. Um, but Taranto
0: is a pretty strong runner. And as you said, is Dill Clark going to be going to be fit enough? I think he's got a pretty good endurance base normally there, Dil Clark, but his injury was to an ankle. So probably hasn't been able to run much over the past six to eight months. So that might have impacted there. Um it's kind of funny we named all these names, but then, you know, just as you were about to say Dylan Clark, I thought to myself, "Oh, this could be Jai Caldwell or it could be Devin Smith." Uh, sorry, Dylan Shield. It's like, oh, an Andy McGrath. Like it's just when you we, we're just throwing names out there. They're the names that come to us, and then I realised, oh, they're not injured. They're all injured. I can't have access to them. But then I was thinking, geez, round one next year, that's that's a that's a nice, really strong midfield group. So um, plus whatever we add to it over the off season there. So yeah, I think at the moment it's just whatever bodies we've got. Unfortunately, Um, the next one on the list is uh, is key defender and Sam Taylor. He's probably uh, now taken over as the number one key defender at at GWS. He's really really strong. He's going to dominate in the air. I think if if Davis plays Davis to Hooker kind of makes sense just because they're a bit two older bodies not really as mobile as each other. Taylor probably goes to Peter Wright given Wright's height. And then um yeah, it all depends, you know, who goes to Haynes Do we play under forward. I'm not quite sure what happens there. But yeah, Sam Taylor, someone we certainly got to worry about in terms of his interception. know, we've had some trouble with Tom Stewart at Geelong and uh and Jay Lever at um at Melbourne and that's kind of the uh type of player that Sam Taylor is, so uh, he's someone we've definitely got to put some time into, and um, the last player was Josh Kelly, we talked about, he's coming back from the ankle. Again, pure class. And uh, on his day, he's a, one of the best players in the comp, and I guess a really good matchup, I think, is Zach Merritt, who on his day is one of the best players in the comp. Both really good runners, both both classy. If, if we saw that matchup head head-to-head, that'd be one you'd... um you pay admission for. So um, <laughs> if, there's any, if there's any bomber supporters in Queensland this week, yeah, if Kelly gets picked, um, I'd be going along. Spend your money, get in, watch two good players
1: go after them. onto On to the three questions uh, for this week. This is one that we sort of asked last week and uh, maybe the week before too, but it still hasn't been solved and I don't think it will be solved this year. But um, our key forward set-up and structure's been struggling a bit and this week it's been added with the complexity of uh, Harry Jones being ruled out probably for the year with the, the uh, foot injury. So what's our key forward set-up with Harry Jones out of the side? I think
0: Hooksy's got to play and he's got to play deep. Um, we'll talk about our midfield. We just need bodies. I think our forward line just needs bodies as well. Um, Peter Wright, I'd like to say, see him... Play closer to goal. We talked earlier about how he had a really good game in terms of his body work and competing and providing an option. I think that's really good. I think uh, what we could do here is maybe do something a little bit in the ruck. There, do we bring in um, do we bring in Phillips or Brian and have them have them tandem with Draper and allow Draper to maybe play forward some more. He's the past couple of weeks. He's proven to be able to um take a mark inside fifty and he's got that big frame. Um his goal kicking hasn't been the greatest, but um, you know, maybe do we bring in Phillips? If Phillips is fit, we talked about that earlier. Could maybe Phillips ruck a bit more on Mumford and then have Draper forward. So you would have a Draper right hooker forward line that'd be really strong in the air. Uh not sure about that mobility. Um if you're worried about the mobility, do you bring in a Nick Bryan? Um, uh, Brian's done some work, especially last year in the hub as a forward, uh, as a backman. I think you know, which we've talked a number of times on this podcast, Mark, about wanting to see the, dry, the Brian Draper combo. Um, is this the right week to to bring it in? If you're going to, uh, do you really want to Nick Brian Ruckin against Mumford for large portions of the game? Not sure. What What do you
1: think? Yeah, I, I like your thinking. Uh, my only concern is that. I think Draper's kicking needs a lot of work uh, over the off-season. His uh, he's shot's on goal. His ball drop, and that's a, a little bit haphazard at the moment. So, um, But I do like the idea. So maybe maybe that means that Draper carries most of the ruck. And then if we bring in a Phillips or a Brian, they get to go forward. And I think Phillips has proven this year to be more than capable of taking a mark and, and being a pretty, pretty reliable set shot and have a good action as well. Um, and I think it, it, at the lower level, Brian has played that kind of role forward as well so he's not he's not exactly uh foreign to it it's just that like you said maybe the size is not quite there for him yet but i do like the idea of having the two rucks and rotating forward what about bringing bzt down back
0: and throw stuart forward or do we really really not want to
1: disrupt what's been a good thing with stuart down back no, I think, I think Stuart's been doing an okay job down back. I think he's uh, probably a good job. Um, shouldn't discredit him. But uh, I think I think we could get away with that if we wanted to to try, try and sort of change things up a little bit. Um, you know, worst case, it doesn't work. And you put Stuart back and you throw BZT forward and give him a new role and you never know what he might be able to do. So um, we're basically just asking for a big body down there that can take a grab or bring it to ground and have a shot on goal sort of within the fifty. So... Um, yeah, I think somehow getting that extra big body in there with the loss of Jones is, uh, is what we're looking for. Um, the next question I had for you here was, uh, do we seize the moment this week with destiny in our hands? Uh, we've got, uh, you know, a spot in finals potentially up for grabs. We're in the eight now. and We just need to try and stay in there. It's going to be a hard task. But do we seize that moment and uh, bring some intensity to this week that wasn't there last week? Uh, obviously, when we started against North, and you know, there's a few things that we can we can square up a few things here. GWS got us by about five points earlier in the year. Mumford dropped the knee on Merritt. Um, there was a few kind of dirty things uh, in, in a few of those games um, as well. There was the their uh, their main key forward there. Um, I can't remember his name, but he he chopped Merritt and got a week as well. But uh, it, yeah, do we do we take the opportunity? I guess in short is the question. I hope we do.
0: I don't, I don't know if we're capable of doing it, but I, I certainly hope we do. Uh, we talked earlier about us not having enough fight and standing up for our senior players in Hempel and Hooker, and we, we certainly let merit down when we played GWS earlier in the year. Um, this soft underbelly that we've had has probably been a reason why we've been no good for the past 15 years because we haven't really had um, many guys who prepared to fight the fight. And not prepared to deal with that and kind of take it to the opposition. So, um, yeah, I, I hope we do. I don't, you know, maybe maybe it's on Drape's. Maybe that's the role Drape's plays. He's got to lead the way, be really physical with Mumford, and maybe maybe outwork him, out bully him, and maybe send him into retirement. Uh, not not in a terms of um, of anything dirty, but just prove that. In, prove to Mumford and to GWS that He's done because Drapes has outworked him uh, Yeah but You know, these games that we're playing At the moment, I think we've got GWS This week and then Sydney next week I think they're definitely um, Two games we have to win And then um, Yeah, I think if we want to play finals They're, they're both games, we've got, we got to win or at least Go
1: really close, what do you think? Yeah, I think so as well I think we've we've sort of there's been times where we've had some opportunities to to get a bit of a scalp uh, against Melbourne. We sort of we were within striking distance, but we couldn't get the momentum. Um, you know, we had Richard earlier uh, at the, just before the halfway point of the season, and, and we couldn't get that done either. Um, I guess this is another opportunity, as is next week, to to get a bit of a scalp that someone near us that would prove that we are maybe be deserving of being in the top eight. I think there's maybe some internal question marks. You know, we've managed to sort of beat everyone below us, but haven't haven't beaten anyone, you know, directly around us or above us. And, you know, we're obviously above GWS at the moment, but we could, it's a real opportunity to end their season and, and progress ours. So uh, I hope we can. And I think there's definitely obviously a chance. There's no reason why we can't. It just, it's all going to depend on when that ball bounces on Sunday as to, as to what kind of intensity is shown in that first three minutes. Uh, I think we're going to have our answer at that point then. Um, yeah. The last question here that we had was, does does the Essendon-only bubble or hub uh, that we're kind of in, we're, we're, obviously there's all these COVID restrictions and we're stuck up in Queensland and uh, some other Victorian teams are still being able to play in front of empty stadiums in Victoria. So does us kind of being isolated interstate have any impact on us and our ability to to kind of keep focused and keep the motivation up and keep things moving? Um or is that sort of just reading into things too much?
0: Uh,
1: I think it's something we've definitely got to be mindful of. It obviously didn't
0: work well since last year, uh, but I, we probably had some guys who were a bit want away anyway in Fantasia, Danaher and Sard. So um, that's maybe without those guys there, maybe a real young group together, it can really... Um, Really fire them up, maybe it might actually be a good thing. Um, it's unfortunate that there with Andy McGrath. Obviously McGrath's injured. They took McGrath up there with the express purpose for leadership, but now he's um, he's in hard quarantine for fourteen days. So that it's unfortunate for him. It hasn't hasn't worked as well as we would have liked. Um, but yeah, it is it is something that potentially to derail us. I know we, we talked earlier in the year, Mark, about how we've got a lot of um. A lot of away games, and like this second half of the year was going to be our real opportunity to kind of cash in, leading into finals with lots of home games against interstate sides. And it's it's been unfortunate that you know GWS and Sydney, who have we've had a history of tight games, we play them on their home decks, and we don't get that opportunity for ourselves, and it kind of neutralises it a little bit. So um, yeah, uh, that's a disappointment, but. I just hope whatever they do, they they work really hard at putting a big emphasis on getting this, you know, two, three, four, however long it is um, right and then building a really strong group. We've seen they had a lot of the promotional stuff in the pre-season there about the guys getting back to training early and training and they're all doing their personal bests coming in on their off days and stuff like that. So they seem to be quite a young group that's quite tight with each other. And this has the potential to e- solidify that even further. Uh, but, you know, we only have to look back to 12 months ago and
1: see <laughs> it doesn't always go that way. <laughs> what did you think? Yeah, I I think the same as you. I don't think there's any panic stations to read into things too much, but it is something to be mindful of exactly what you said. So, um, yeah, hopefully with the right leadership, I, I guess also – not only the new players and the younger players that have come through the club and, and um, the omission of some players who have left, but there's some new coaching staff as well at the club. I feel like someone like Daniel janza is going to be really good for, for a young group up in an environment like that. Um, you know, the, the likes of Karasawa, Rutten as well, seems quite galvanising um, as, as a coach as well. So hopefully those, those sort of staff um, are able to bring everything together and keep everyone motivated and on track. Like you said, we just sort of need to get through kind of a maybe a two or three week period to begin with and then um, and then reset from there. So um, with the possible changes this week, what are we thinking in terms of uh, who's in and out? I guess I'll kick us off here that we spoke about Smith. I think it's fair to say that both of us has kind of uh, reached our limit with Dev Smith and if we were the coach, we would be dropping him from the side um, due to discipline reasons. And um, uh, so I guess maybe that's our out this week is that we would have Devin Smith omitted. Um, we spoke about bringing in maybe an Andy Phillips to share the ruck load with Draper and to put a bit more uh, height and pressure up forward as well. So there's a potential in there. Um, Aaron Francis, you spoke about in uh, uh, as part of the injuries and the, and the current out list. So his mental health leave um, is still, I guess, TBC uh, as to when he's back. But, I believe he's with the group and he's training and uh, hopefully in better spirits. So um, whether Francis uh, yeah, comes back in um, as well, if he does, you know, how do we structure the back line? So, yeah, I guess that's kind of what we're thinking. I'm not sure what you want to add on top of it, but Smith out, Phillips maybe in, Francis maybe in. Have we got any other ideas? Uh, n- not really. I think, you
0: know, if we wanted to go like for like, maybe Cahill for, for Smith, I think that's that's not a bad thing. Tipper, like we said, is a bit sore. Does maybe he need a rest? Um, if we decide we want to go with with another ruckman, maybe does does Hooksy get a rest? Because we talked earlier about not being too top heavy. Um, I'm not sure if, if Dylan Clark's fit. You may have raised a really good point. He would be a good inclusion. Um, you know, I might might. I'm not too. I'm not too sure, really. Um, could Could this be? Uh, we We talked about this off, offline a little bit there. Maybe. Um, maybe a little bit early. Maybe it's worked against him, but maybe a, a good opportunity to blood maybe a, a Tom Hurd. You know, he's been kicked those three goals in the VFL. I think in the last game there, he seems to have been really busy in, in the forward line there. Could this, you know, against the, a a GWS side? You know, could could he come in? That's 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 maybe an option. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I guess availability has really hurt us, and then then the no VFL has kind of really not let us have guys at, at at their best at the moment. You know.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's tough. It's tough. What do you think? Yeah. I... I agree. You know, there's a few kind of curveballs uh, that you could maybe have up your sleeve, what, like Senator Tom Hurt or someone like that, but he's sort of been disadvantaged by not being able to continue that good form in the VFL. So, I think for this week we keep it pretty simple. I think it's Smith out, Phillips in on the assumption that Francis uh, is still not available based on, there hasn't been kind of a lot of talk um, about him from the club. So, yeah, I think for me, keep it simple. Smith out, Phillips in. I know that's not like for like, but I think we can balance the side enough to To make it work so we we bought in obviously uh we took out harry jones last week and bought in Ham from memory so um we're getting to go like for like then so it'd be kind of just rebalancing from that point anyway so uh we'll move on to the results and the margins so i'll go first um this could really go either way i think a lot rides on whether or not kelly and whitfield get up uh into the team that obviously takes a fair chunk out of them um only because of their some of their injuries at the moment, I'm thinking that we are maybe a little bit closer in this than what I thought. And I don't know, I just have a good feeling that we'll maybe bring something this week and it'll be a close game. But I think we, we maybe get up by five points, which I think ironically is what they got us by earlier in the year. So um, yeah, I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going to tip us by five points. What about you? Mm, no, I'm not sure.
0: Um, I think... I think we can win, um, especially if, if the outs fall our way. Um, I'm just concerned we're not playing very good football at the moment. I don't, uh, you know, North Melbourne and Adelaide are both bottom four, you know, and you could almost argue we played worse against Adelaide than that we did against North Melbourne, and we didn't play very, very good against against North Melbourne. Um, look, I'll. Oh, I'll go the win, and I'll go by a point, but <laughs> it could easily be six goal loss, a six goal win. It's just it's it, the unreliability of the side at the moment is is kind of and that happens with young side. So we've got a a lot of got a young players in there. We've got a lot of senior guys out. So, but you know, we are seeing – if the convert. I think it's the conversion. We talked about this going back to where we started. Conversion. Yeah, we get the exact same amount of shots and goals we've got in the previous weeks, but we kick it 75 instead of a 25. Well then,
1: you know, we'll win. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't have any confidence we'll do that. <laughs> it, it is a good point you raise that if you look at our form over the last sort of month, um, we got pretty badly beaten by Geelong, uh, down, down at the, the Cattery there. So we had a good opening quarter and then it all just went pear shaped from there. Um, then we played uh, Melbourne, who I think was uh, was it that order? We played Melbourne first or after the Cats? Melbourne, I can't remember. Melbourne, Geelong, I think it was Melbourne, Geelong. So we we had a close one against Melbourne, but didn't really ever look like winning the game. Then we played Geelong, got smashed. Uh, like you said, we played Adelaide, didn't play particularly well, didn't convert well, uh, but still got the win because they were they were so much worse. And then uh, obviously last week. Um, got up against North who, at the bottom of the ladder. So it's not a great form line. I mean, we're still getting some wins, but it's not a great form line coming in against good opposition. So I guess, like you said, that is a little bit worrying that there's not there's not a string of good games where we've just fallen short or we've managed to really cruise past side or something like that. So that is a bit of a concern. But, yeah, hopefully, hopefully they got a bit of a rocket after the Kangaroos game and a bit of a lesson in what intensity you need to bring um, back to the game, and we've shown that patches that we can do it this year. Obviously, uh, been a really positive year overall. So, um, yeah, hopefully, we hopefully get up. Before we go,
0: you often ask me, you know, do I have anything? But maybe I'll just come straight out with it. Jakey Stringer, has he, how did you see his last month? Uh, he's obviously much talked about this contract. What, what are you, you going to give him? Is this just performance? Because he's turned the corner and this is the play he's going to be? Or is this just um, a player who's out of contract looking for a payday? Uh, is it's it, a, good, it's former a good midfield, what are
1: we going to do with him? It's a good question. Um, I think the role he's playing is... I originally was thinking he's better suited to spending more time in the forward line because he's more of a scoring opportunity for us. But he's been playing so well out of the centre that I think that he's found... It good pinch hitting role in there that he's done probably the last couple of years. So the role I think is fine. I wouldn't change the role that he's playing. Um, He's hitting the scoreboard. He's getting possessions. He's helping us in the midfield. Uh, In terms of the the contract length, I think the reports are that we're offering three. He wants four. I think surely they can meet the middle and say, we'll give you three and there's a performance clause for four. Uh, You get the extra year, you know, if you hit, if you hit these targets, uh in terms of money, that's always a hard one. Obviously not knowing the full salary cap details, but you'd have to assume that uh his contract is somewhere in the range of you know, his his value over the last you asked me how he's been going over the last month or so. He's he's been elite, he's been one of the better players in the comp. So if he can continue that, then he's you know, he's within that sort of six to seven hundred kind of range. And the 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 issue is keeping him doing that, which maybe that performance based clause in his contract does that. Um, so that's what I'm sort of thinking. Three years with option for a fourth and six to seven hundred thousand is sort of I guess what he might be worth on the market based on current form. What about you?
0: Yeah, I definitely think if we had a team of champions and everyone was going great, uh, he'd be in our forward line there. I think uh, maybe you might put him in the middle five minutes here or there, but I think just because of how weak we are, At the moment, he's been spending a lot more midfield time, which is kind of getting those clearance numbers up and then, you know, it's looking really good. But I guess kind of what we talked about earlier when we gave our votes, he had less disposals than um, Parrish and Merritt last week, but it's what he did going forward. And I guess, um, you know, with Shield coming back, with Caldwell, with McGrath, with Langford, you know, with Parrish and Merritt, that's a five-, six-man... Midfield there, plus you know, this first round pick. Do we take a midfielder? Do we trade it out? Do we split it? This, you know, do we bring somebody in through free agency? Who knows what happens? Happens there. Um, I think he needs to play forward a bit more just because you know, where um, the midfield will be a six, seven, eight out of ten, but the forward line. Will be you know a three, four, five out of ten, and I guess his presence in the forward line is kind of needed, needed a bit more there. Um, the problem is he's best suited to you know a role where he's not the number one key forward, but you know we don't really have anybody else there. I guess um, I agree with you with the three years with the trigger. I agree with you on the performances, and I think ultimately Jake Jake will stay. I think I think he seems quite happy at Essendon. We're happy to have him. I'm sure that all will get figured out. It's just more about, you know, what we do with him going forward there and where we can, um, where we can best use him. I guess what I would like to see has probably got nothing to do with Jake himself. Is is for the midfield to start kicking more goals under its own steam. You know, we we've talked about this I think uh, regularly, you know, over the years. Mark, you should if you want to be an all Australian midfielder. And you want to be a top quality midfielder, he should be aiming for a goal a game. If you can get a goal a game as a starting midfielder, that's really good. And historically, but people that might not be, you know, accurate that you know, but that Zach Merritt, is he a good enough player to get you a goal a game? I think so. Is you know, is Darcy Parrish a good enough player to get a goal a game? I think so. Andy McGrath, same. Dylan Shield, same. Right. Now, you might say Andy McGrath plays more defensive things, say he doesn't get a goal because of the whatever, right? But, you know, there's going to be games where three, four weeks in a row they don't kick any goals. But there's going to be games where they could kick two or three goals, you know? And it maybe when we got a full complement of our midfield back, if we start rotating, you know, as Zach Merritt. Zach Merritt started his career as a half forward, small forward and proved to be a pretty good goal kicker. If he can start getting those numbers up, I think it was last year, the year before, and McGrath had that, I think he was kicking, I think the first six weeks he kicked the goal a game and he became become really impactful. I think what makes Jake so valuable is his impact on the scoreboard and in comparison to everybody else, well, we don't have that. So if we want to get improved going forward as a side, more goals
1: out of starting midfielders, I kind of feel where we've, we've got to be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I guess uh, we've got we're kind of all expecting the news that Stringer resigns of Essendon. Like you said, they seem uh, happy with him. He seems happy with them. So, um, it, we're all kind of expecting that. So, hopefully, it's soon and uh, it can all be put to bed. And then we see how he reacts to once contracted to continue in that form. Hopefully, so uh, interesting to watch play out. Uh, find us on social media Facebook and Instagram by searching Essendon People Podcast where you'll find updates for when these uh, episodes are coming out and uh, and also just the, the weekly results and the like as well um, so I think that's it from us for another week uh, episode 27 and uh, hopefully we have a win on Sunday against GWS so go Dons, Go Bombers